Great to be with you this morning. My name's Matt again, for those of you who I haven't met. Uh, and welcome to the new year. Uh, we're very excited uh, for what God has in store for us in 2021 and beyond. And we're also very excited to be starting a new series this morning on the practice of simplicity. Uh, so if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles uh, to Mark 10, verse 17. And we'll pick up there in a few minutes. Uh, if you were here a year ago, uh, at the start of 2020, you may remember that we started the year in a series called uh, Practicing the Way of Jesus. And it was all about uh, sort of taking on the uh, lifestyle and rhythms of Jesus as our own. Uh, and we made the point a year ago that it is the way of Jesus, uh, wedded to the truth of Jesus, that gives us the life of Jesus. Uh, meaning that as we practice Jesus' way, as we live the way uh, that he did, the way that he calls us to live, then we experience more and more of the life of Jesus along the way. Uh, and during that series a year ago, we uh, talked about a whole host of different practices from the life of Jesus. Uh, we talked about silence and solitude and the Sabbath. Uh, community, prayer, fasting, reading scripture. Uh, but of all the practices that we talked about, the one that impacted me personally the most through that series was the practice of simplicity. Nothing has uh, changed the life of our family over the course of the last five years uh, like the practice of Sabbath. Uh, but nothing has impacted me personally over the course of the last year more than the practice of simplicity. Uh, and hence, this series. Uh, we uh, want to go deeper and explore what it looks like to practice simplicity as a follower of Jesus in our uh, modern Western world. Uh, but we begin with the words of Jesus spoken in the ancient Mideastern world. Uh, this is Mark 10, picking up in verse 17. It says, As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Let's pray. 
Jesus, as we uh, start a new year, as we start a new series, uh, our hope is really simple, that our hearts would be open to whatever it is that you want to do and you want to say. Uh, and we trust you, Lord. Um, I, I think of the, the men who approached you and said, Lord, I believe, uh, help me overcome my unbelief, because they were both there at war in his heart as they are in ours. The same is true of our trust. Lord, we trust you. We trust you to resurrect us from the dead. May we also trust you with everything else. Would you come now? Uh, would you comfort? Would you challenge? Would you speak? Would you fill? Uh, would you change us, Lord? Would you usher us in to, to more of your life? And as we begin this journey together, um, I, I think a really easy prayer to pray is that we would look more like you and experience more of your life and freedom and joy and peace uh, 10 weeks from now, as we end the series, than we do right now this morning. Um, so would you come, Lord? Uh, would you be present here? Would you work in each and every heart? Let us hear what it is you'd want to speak to each one this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. In Jesus' day, uh, to be rich, to have excess material wealth, was thought to be a sign of God's blessing. Uh, hence the astonishment of the disciples at the end of this interaction. In their eyes, to be a wealthy Jewish person was to be one of the most blessed people on earth. Uh, surely they are favored by God. Surely they are saved. And hence their question uh, if this rich man struggles to enter the kingdom of God, then who can be saved? We thought they were guaranteed to be in, and, and everyone else was sort of in an ambiguous place. Uh, but as always, Jesus comes at things from a totally different angle. Uh, the greatest opportunity of our lives is to participate in the inbreaking kingdom of God. Uh, which is coming onto the earth right here and right now. It's breaking into our reality through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And it will be here in full one day. And excess material wealth is not necessarily a sign of God's blessing or approval. In fact, it may become a stumbling block in our pursuit of the kingdom of God itself. Elsewhere, Jesus says it this way, he says, the worries of this life, uh, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things come in and choke out the word or, or the kingdom of God operating in our lives, making it unfruitful, which is as startling a concept to us as it was to them in the first century. Uh, but Jesus didn't simply teach on wealth and possessions. He lived a life of simplicity, and he invites us to do the same. Uh, we think that wealth and possessions are our life, and hence you get the tension in this story. Do I sell what I currently own and, and follow after Jesus in a radical way, or do I, do I reject that opportunity because my possessions are my life. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Apparently, greed and the kingdom 
do not go hand in hand. They're, they're antithetical to one another. It is hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. But at the end of the day, Jesus is ultimately inviting us into a better life, a life that he demonstrated for us. Uh, Jesus himself lived with, quote, a carefree unconcern for possessions. And he went through life unburdened by excess material stuff. He had some money uh, that you know from the story Judas is looking after. There's a decent amount of money that's set aside, that's contributed from wealthy donors for for Jesus and his disciples uh, to live off of as they uh, go about preaching about the kingdom of God. So he has a a decent, substantial amount of money uh, that Judas is, is caring for. Uh, He has the clothes on his back, uh, which are actually nice clothes. We'll talk about that later in the series. And that's about it. That's what he had to his name. And it was by choice. Uh, This carefree unconcern for possessions shows up in his life and in his teachings as well. Uh, In fact, Jesus was a master teacher the best teacher that the world has ever known. And something like 25% of all of Jesus' teachings are on wealth and possessions. You compare that to uh, church life today, uh, where a tiny fraction of teachings are on wealth and possessions. Uh, In the history of River's Edge, I'd estimate it's about 1% of our teachings are probably on wealth and possessions. And uh, for our church and other churches as well, oftentimes that 1% or 2% of teachings that talk about wealth and money are often focused on the 10% of your wealth that, that you are giving away and not the 90% of your wealth that you're not giving away. So there's a huge uh, misalignment with many churches today and the teachings of Jesus. But it hasn't always been that way. Uh, Rewind the clock back to the beginning of the Jesus movement. And uh, the very first disciples practiced uh, simplicity. They left everything that they had, everything that they owned, in order to follow Jesus. And then, even as they're following him, uh, he sends them out on short missionary journeys with nothing. He says, I know you have two coats, only take one. I know you have money, don't bring it with you. Watch how God will provide for you as you step out and do these things. He wanted them to be totally reliant on God's provision. And he challenged them over and over again in that. He wanted them to see just how little they actually needed as they sought first the kingdom of God. Uh, We see a similar carefree unconcern for possessions in the early church. Uh, The Spirit is poured out on the day of Pentecost. Thousands of people make a decision for Jesus. The church is born uh, in this fire and the Holy Spirit. And then we read this in its aftermath. This is right after uh, the verses on Pentecost. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. 
And don't let the familiarity of these verses numb you to what's happening. They've just committed their lives to Jesus. There's no template for how to do this other than Jesus himself. And, and they're filled with the Spirit, and, and all of a sudden they hold a loose grip on, on the things of this world. Everything was held in common, it says. They sold their property and possessions and gave to anyone who had need. They instantly started living the life that the rich young ruler was unable to live. And they could testify to its unparalleled goodness. Notice that no one commanded them to do this. They were under no obligation. But in the joy and freedom of the Holy Spirit, they began relating to physical possessions in a new way. It, it just changed them. And two chapters later, we read this in the book of Acts. It says, No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. What a radical concept. From Pentecost forward, Throughout church history, uh, this practice of simplicity or minimalism survives and even thrives through the millennia. Uh, we see it in the early centuries of the church in which uh, Christians were known throughout the Roman world for not just taking care of their own poor, but the poor of the empire in a way that, that the Roman empire itself was unable to do. Because anytime they saw someone in need, they said, I have possessions, I have stuff, I don't need all of this stuff. I'll sell it and take care of your needs. Uh, fast forward into the third and fourth centuries, and we see the desert uh, mothers and fathers who voluntarily renounced everything that they had to pursue Jesus and the simple life in the desert. We see it in the 12th and 13th centuries with Francis of Assisi taking uh, vows of poverty, uh, disowning everything, committing to absolute sim simplicity, and uh, establishing one of the largest and most influential orders in the entire world at that time. In fact, throughout the centuries, we see Christian simplicity everywhere. In, in the words of Richard Foster, the necessity of Christian simplicity is one of the most consistent themes of the saints. Uh, people as divergent as Augustine of Hippo and Francis of Assisi Blaise Pascal and Madame Guyon, uh, Richard Baxter and Julian of Norwich, all called for simplicity of life. It cuts across all personalities, all centuries. Every saint somehow arrived at this place of calling people to simplicity. We see it more recently in church history, embodied in John Wesley and the Methodist movement, in Hudson Taylor and his missionary movement in China, uh, in in Sadhu Sanghar Singh, perhaps the greatest missionary to ever come out of India, uh, in the Quakers, in the Amish, and many others, leading right up to today. And then you have us, modern Americans, living amongst an explosion of wealth, possessions, consumerism, and stuff inheritors of a Christian culture which looks almost identical to the culture around us on this topic. 
Participants uh, in a modern church culture that gives almost no guidance uh, to the insane consumerism of our day. Sadly, when it comes to wealth and stuff and physical possessions, we are too often in the world and of the world. We exist now in a moment unparalleled in all of human history in which we uh, don't just believe that more is better, uh, but we also have the means to accumulate unprecedented amounts of stuff. Most of which we think we need, and most of which we really don't need at all. Richard Foster begins his book on simplicity with these words. He says, contemporary culture is plagued by the passion to possess. The unreasoned boast abounds that the good life is found in accumulation, that more is better. Indeed, we often accept this notion without question, with the result that the lust for affluence in contemporary society has become psychotic, which by definition means it has completely lost touch with reality. And hence the need for simplicity in the series that we are beginning today. Christian simplicity, Foster says, is not just a faddish attempt to respond to the ecological holocaust that threatens to engulf us, nor is it born out of a frustration with technocratic obesity. It is a call given to every disciple The witness of simplicity is profoundly rooted in biblical tradition and most perfectly exemplified in the life of Jesus himself. It is the natural and necessary outflow of the good news having taken root in our lives. So what is simplicity or minimalism or essentialism or whatever you want to call it? Uh, A few definitions as we close this morning. Uh, Simplicity is, this is my favorite one, simplicity is uh, the intentional promotion of the things we most value and the removal of everything else that distracts us from them. Simplicity is is an inward reality reflected in an outward lifestyle. And because we are followers of Jesus, we are called to pursue simplicity together. As we close, a few thoughts on what simplicity is and what it isn't. Uh, first off, simplicity isn't living with nothing. Uh, it's, it's not a bare home. Uh, it's not stark poverty. It's not a joyless existence. Uh, simplicity is not the lack of something or the absence of something. It is the perfect amount of something. Second, simplicity isn't about imposing rules or legalism. It's not about bondage. It's about freedom. Uh, The sad reality is that too often in the Western world, we don't just own stuff. Our stuff owns us. It controls us, enslaves us, uh, devours our time, our money, our attention, our energy. Simplicity sets us free. 
It frees us from the modern mania of life. Uh, it, it brings sanity to our compulsive extravagance and peace to, to our frantic lives. Because the sad reality is, we can chase money and possessions our whole life, and we will never feel secure. We will never feel satisfied. We can still remain in this place of feeling fearful and anxious and frustrated and discontent our whole lives. Simplicity breaks that yoke of slavery and ushers us into a place of freedom. It allows us to taste the life that we've always wanted but have never quite been able to pin down. And as someone who's been experimenting with simplicity over the course of the last year, uh, I can tell you that few things have brought me as much joy and freedom as pursuing this practice. It is incredible. I, I can't stop talking about it. It has literally changed my life. Uh, and if you accept this challenge, this invitation that we're going to issue over the next 10 weeks, I promise you with absolute certainty that you will not regret it. There is life to be found in this practice. Life that comes from Jesus. Life that is truly life. And with it, the peace and satisfaction and freedom that we're always chasing and, and never laying hold of. But, but here's a radical idea that I want to propose at the outset. What if Jesus were right? What if his teachings on physical possessions and stuff were actually the best way to live? What if he was offering the rich young ruler the best life that he could have possibly experienced? Not just an eternal reward, but right here and right now. Over the next 10 weeks, we are going to journey together toward a life of less stress and greater freedom, of less distraction and greater purpose, a life where we promote the things that matter most and remove everything else that distracts us from them, a life of greater peace, clarity, and kingdom impact. Uh, we are going to journey together toward the good life toward the best life, toward life that is truly life. And this journey is going to look different for each and every one of us, but each and every one of us are called to go on this journey. Let's pray. Yeah, Lord, we, uh, we come to you uh, at the outset, at the start of a new series, at the start of a new year, and we just um, proclaim in this place, Lord, that we want you uh, to be our all in all, that we want to actually follow after you. We don't want to be people who uh, just believe 
uh, that you died for us in our minds and then just kind of go back to living uh, just as any other secular person lives. Uh, we want to chase after you, Jesus. We, we want to become like you. We, we, uh, we want to be formed and shaped and transformed into your image. And we want life. That, that's, our, that's our deep desire. Uh, and, and as we'll talk about next week, secular culture has, has told us that we're to take that desire for life and, and plow it into consumerism. And yet day after day, month after month, week after week, generation after generation, we can see that it's just not working. That that's not where life is found. That, that in some cases we end up more miserable, more anxious, more dissatisfied than when we started. And so Jesus, we invite you here uh, as Lord, as Savior, as the one who touches, as the one who challenges, as the one who calls us out into deeper and deeper waters day in and day out. And, and we come with this place of um, many of us carrying fear and anxiety, even around provision and physical possessions. And yet, Lord, each one of us carries trust as well. Even if it's as small as a mustard seed, each one of us has some amount of trust in you and who you are and what you've done and what you promised to do. And so we come with the trust that we have, Lord. And we pray that you would grow that, that through challenge, through experiment, through experience, you would grow us into your image, that you would grow us in experiencing your life, that we would step out into deeper waters now and in the weeks ahead. We invite you here, Lord, into this place. It's nothing without you. We can open the very Bible and talk about who you were. And if you don't meet us in this place, it's not worth much. So we look to you now, Holy Spirit. We worship you. Would you begin speaking to us as we begin this journey about the things that matter most and everything else that distracts us from them? now, Lord. Speak to us. Recenter us. Put new dreams in our heart. Better dreams. We look to you now. We worship you now. In Jesus' name. Amen.